This is a podcast by the RASC Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. This is our weekly two cents segment. I'm Pete Wardgen, your host, and I'm joined by Chris Bates. Chris, how are we? Mate, doing very well, Pete. How, how are you doing on this uh, nice Sunday? <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, I've been following the cricket today over in London, so a little bit sunburned and um, game's in the balance, so we'll see how we go. Uh, what have you been up to this week? Mate, we've uh, finally come out of the sickness uh, coma, I guess, so uh, things are pretty nice and... Uh, bright again in our world. So um, yeah, looking forward to the weekend tomorrow. Fabulous. So welcome to our Two Cents segment. We're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast. And we take a plain English look at the big three property news stories of the week. So every morning at 7am, you'll find this episode waiting for you in your podcast player. And we cover everything really you want to know about the most important headlines of the week. Um, but also, we do like to be guided by you. So send us your questions and there's links in the show notes. So Chris, this week, uh, the big three property news stories, there's always uh, more than we could ever hope to cover. But um, uh, Domain put out their house price forecast for the next financial year. So we're recording this on the end of financial year, 30 June. Uh, so we'll take a look at what Domain are forecasting. And actually, we'll have a bit of a chat about whether it's even worth paying attention to forecasts and the value in them. Uh, secondly, uh, monthly inflation figures were out this week, uh, which at first blush seemed to be really good, but you know some issues there ongoing. So we'll talk a bit about that. And then thirdly, um, it's interesting to see when you look at Reserve Bank projections for what's going to happen to mortgage repayments over the year ahead. They're going to be potentially as high as we've ever seen in Australia as a share of household income. So obviously that's going to have some knock-on impacts to the housing market, also for retail trade and uh, potentially a retail recession. So lots going on. So should we kick off first with, um, well, story one, house price forecast from Domain. So should we have a run through those? Absolutely. Let's um, let's do it, Pete. Well, what did I say? So in bullet points, house prices in Sydney, Adelaide, Adelaide and Hobart will record the largest gains and prices in Sydney, Adelaide and Perth will reach new record highs. Now, this is a real surprise to me because we've seen the cash rate target go from zero to four. And um, Brisbane house prices are also expected to be close to a new record high. Adelaide and Perth are predicted to avoid a downturn, but just revert to more subdued positive growth. Unit prices are predicted to have more modest growth than houses but have seen a generally a shallower downturn and therefore have held up overall. And we'll see record unit prices in Brisbane, Adelaide, Hobart, and unit prices in Sydney will be close to a new high as in the other cities. So I'm just looking through the forecast. So basically Sydney with the largest growth, 
But actually, Chris, prices predicted to go up everywhere, every capital city, every region. Um, so what did you think about these? Look, I think um, on our other podcast, The um, Elephant in the Room, we do an annual full of forecaster report. And, you know, one of the reasons we do that is um, forecasting is a bit of a mugs game. I've, I sort of learned that, you know, harshly in the financial advice world and, um, you know, all the you know, this is what this market's going to do. This is what's going to happen. Exchange rates every single year. Everyone got it wrong. No one really knows what's going to happen. Um, and you know, there's always another crisis that's happening, and you know, the unexpected happens. And you can go back every year, where it's the recent years. You've got the Ukraine, you know, the COVID. You've got Euro debt crisis. You've got the GFC. You've got um, on and on and on, right? And so, I think it's really hard to do forecasting. There's just so many variables, and even. A forecast itself to say that the Sydney market's going to do something, well, that doesn't really matter anyway. You don't buy the Sydney market. You buy an individual property on an individual street. And so some housing markets in Sydney, for example, the top end has been going bonkers in the last you know, few months. But, you know, that might be completely different to the median areas and that might be different to the lower end of Sydney, et cetera. So forecasts are a bit of a, a mugs game, I believe. I, I think you've always got to also question where that forecast is coming from. Um, and, you know, there's some real serial offenders, whether they're property bears or the big economists that are always down on the market or, you know, flipping on a dime. You know, I've seen um, big economists one day saying a negative thing, the next day saying a positive thing. Um and, you know, even in the last week, a big economist was doing that. That's probably the most quoted in the Australian um, market. So forecasts, I think they're a bit of a waste of time. I do think, though, sometimes you can take some insights from them, though, in terms of getting where they think they're, you know, what markets are going to be stronger than other markets. Look, I think the domain um, and REA, they're having a real listings problem right now. Um, and, you know, if I was going to be play devil's advocate here right now, what they'd want to see is see, uh, forecast a bit of stabilization in prices that you know there's not going to be major falls there's not going to be major growth it's a safe market to transact in because um, that means that people are more likely to want to transact and so um, yeah I'm not a fan of property forecasts I think it's just too simplistic it sells newspapers whether it's positive or negative it's just the number one obsession in society people love these things they're clickbait um, but the reality is it doesn't really matter as, as you as an individual property person. More likely than not, they're going to be wrong. The banks, for example, got all their forecasts wrong every year. We did a whole back testing of 10 years and they're pretty much wrong every year. So, yeah, don't read too much into these. Um, really, you want to look at your local market. What's driving it right now? Is it really tight listings? Is demand picking up? Um, is it stronger demand? You know, are these people earning more than the current? And so get your local forecast by watching your local market but don't listen to these mass market things. I think you might have bagged me out actually one year in your full of forecaster report. <laughs> I think I, I can't remember what I said. It wasn't completely wrong, but it was pretty bad. I, I think though, to be fair, if you went back 12, 15 months ago, and what all of the major bank economists were saying about interest rates, they've been so far wrong, it's not even funny. Now, I guess in their defense, the Reserve Bank was also uh, very wrong, but it, I think it does go to show that um, uh, you know we've seen an awful lot of debate about you know whether interest rates are going to peak at you know 4.35 percent or 4.6, and you know really nuanced um, analysis. But actually, of course, nobody buys a property with a view to selling it immediately for a capital gain. I mean, yes, some people are buying to renovate and flip and so on, but really, if you're looking as an investor, you're probably thinking five, 10, 15 plus years and not really 
uh, trying to second guess what the market's going to do over the next 12 months. Um, so I guess that's one of the things um, to bear in mind. There's a signal versus noise thing. I think um, w- one of the, the things I've uh, been discussing um, is this concept of, um, you know, ne- you're never going to find a situation where everything is right for property. And at the moment, interest rates are the challenge. Um, but when interest rates start falling, there'll be something else. You're never going to situation i think we were talking on the other podcast about the start of the grand prix when all the lights go to green you know you're never going to have five green lights and at the moment you've got interest rates as the challenge but as you mentioned there's a stock shortage no listings record population growth uh rents are booming so there's lots of things in your favor at the moment but interest rates pulling the other way uh but as you said i don't know city level property forecast what does that even mean you buy an individual property not the capital city i guess yeah and i guess you know when you're making your property decisions right now what you want is um things that are probably headwinds for the market now that could flip to tailwinds right you you know and if you think about buying right now if you've got the capacity to buy you're buying under when borrowing capacity has been the tightest it's ever been like you know four four and a half times income that's ridiculously tight and way down from when I started as a broker back in 2013 when you could get 10 to 12 times your income if you knew what you were doing. Um, you've also got when there's still fear around interest rates um, and, you know, how high they're going to go, how long are they going to stay there? So if those two things flipped, if people were um, thinking, oh, maybe rates aren't going up anymore, now they're going back down and they're going back down quite significantly and then borrowing capacity starts to go up and you've still got a shock, shock, um, stock shortage. People only list once prices start to go back up again. Um, and so if those two ingredients happen on low stock, you, you then absolutely you'd, you'd be much happier than um, – you don't want to be buying in that market, for example. Very similar thing happened in 2019. Um, the market was really correcting in 2018. Stock numbers were really drying up. Real big um, negative sentiment going into the 2019 election. The labor market, labor lost, liberals won, rate cuts happened, APRA stepped in, and then bang, prices moved 15, 20% within six months. And so, um, yeah, you've just got to be really careful trying to pick this, you know, ultimate time to invest. But the good thing is if you can get a quality asset right now, um, ultimately there could be things that are headwinds that could tip to massive tailwinds. Yeah, I'm just looking at these uh, figures here. There's a uh, uh, price growth forecast for the Sunshine Coast. But I, I know from personal experience, there's houses that have sat on the market for six months, no interest, uh, asking prices are unrealistic. Now, is that already factored into where the price is today? Are we looking out for the next 12 months? I think yeah, you can get way too bogged down in some of these very specific price forecasts, which if you're just buying an individual property or selling one, um, they don't necessarily mean all that much. Um, uh, and these are forecasts only really to 30 June 2024. Anyway, the fact that they're all positive is a surprise because um, I think if you'd have asked me a year ago, I would have thought the interest rates would have had a much bigger impact than they have. So, Chris, let's flick on to the second story because that does kind of relate to interest rates. Monthly inflation figures. So uh, previously in Australia, we used to only have the quarterly consumer price index figures, and that was the key driver really of interest rate decisions. Um, there was a lot of talk about uh, from economists and others say, well, we really should have monthly figures like a lot of other parts of the world. We've now got a monthly inflation indicator, but it doesn't actually cover all of the costs in the basket. So it's only an indicator. It doesn't necessarily uh, map across exactly to the quarterly inflation figures. Nevertheless, uh, figures out this week, 
Inflation last month was 6.8% over the year to April, fell quite sharply, actually, 5.6% over the year to May. Um, so that was right at the bottom of the forecast range from uh, economists. Now, I guess if you look in other parts of the world, Canada's inflation is now 3.4%. That's come mm. back down. I think US will be at 3% or thereabouts next month. So um, they're sort of winning this battle against inflation. But Australia, we've kept the borders closed for a very long time. We're obviously much further back on this journey. And I do wonder whether if you look at the actual core inflation figures there, Chris, we're not out of the woods just yet because there's things like rents are going up, building costs are high. I think anyone who's renewed an energy bill recently or an insurance policy would have noticed there's there's some punchy price rises still around. And if you look at market pricing, well, potentially, uh, well, let's look at them. As I sit here today, markets are looking at a terminal cash rate of about 4.5%. So still potentially one or even two interest rate hikes before interest rates start falling in 2024. So, Chris, what were your thoughts on inflation, um, where we might be looking ahead? I mean, obviously, there's some potentially some stickier uh, parts to inflation. It's not all about fuel prices and things that are falling. There's some things that are still uh, still potentially rising. Yeah, it's a really, I'm not going to sit here as you know, it leads on to our last question around forecasting where rates are going to be or what inflation is going to get to, etc. Ultimately, though, that inflation number coming down is good news, right? Um, it's good news for people who have got mortgages that are, you know, dealing with more and more rate increases, right? Yeah, I think in the UK, um, you know this better than me, Pete, but you know, I think it's more of a stickier problem. They're getting a wage price spiral problem. Um, but even though we've got very low um, un in unemployment, you know, we're not getting that wage increase problem where, you know, we're getting this spiral. Everyone's asking for more and more salary increases and it's, you know, leading to more and more inflation. I do think rental inflation is a real issue. We can see investors, you know, absolutely coming to us in force. And I think that they're, they're potentially considering selling. And if they most likely sell, they're going to sell to owner occupiers, I would say, first home buyers. And that's only going to further exacerbate the problems in the rental market. And so um, together with more migration, et cetera, I do think that problem's going to be quite sticky. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of mortgage holders are making cutbacks. I think the last two rate increases, um, there's been a real mentality shift is that let's really make some cutbacks now. And I think that's really going to start biting with the fixed rates coming off. But, you know, that doesn't mean that a person with a low mortgage, you know, house is worth, you know, a million plus, they've got a mortgage of two, 300,000, higher interest rates don't really hurt them that much. Um, you know, they're on top of their mortgage, they're earning good money. Are they going to stop spending? Probably not. You know, a person with no mortgage, are they going to stop spending? You know, a, down, a retiree, are they going to stop spending? Well, no, they've probably got more money on their investments now because it's in cash. You know, is a 25-year-old that hasn't got a mortgage, are they not going to go out and, you know, and do things with their friends and travel and things like that? Probably not. They're probably going to keep spending if they've still got a job. So I think it's a real issue. It's, it shows that um, interest rates really only hit those bigger mortgage holders, um, but those mortgage holders absolutely are making cutbacks. And so it's heading in the right direction, but obviously we're not out of the woods. And, um, you know, that's why rates have been kept going up, right? And it's really trying to kill this, you know, get the genie back in the bottle. It, it's a it's a big problem. Um but I would say that around the world, other countries are winning on it. Um, if you look at, like you say, US and Canada, but some countries are really struggling. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, that would be my observation right now. Look at some of the component parts. Building cost pressures were out of control last year. I think um, for new dwelling prices at one stage last year, 22.6% increase. Now, even now, we're still at nearly double digits 
increases year on year. It does seem to be finally coming down, though. So that's good news for inflation. But the construction industry, we've seen 2,100 insolvencies over the financial year or thereabouts, um, about double what it was last year. Um, so that's a real issue in the industry. But I think, Chris, for people wanting to buy or build a new home, I mean, it really is getting smashed by these higher interest rates. Yeah, if I had a piece out uh, this week, building pipeline in wealthy suburbs hits rock bottom. Economists have warned a slump in building approvals is poised to push property prices and rents higher with a pipeline in affluent parts of Sydney and Melbourne mired at extremely low levels. They've just thrown in some stats here. This is AFR research. 88 homes were approved across the suburbs of Leichhardt, Marrickville, Sydenham and Petersham in Sydney's inner west over the 12 months to April. So basically nothing. Only 142 dwellings approved in Sydney's inner city in the 12 months to April. That's basically 0.1% of the region's dwelling stock. Uh, Manly, there's never any increase in the dwelling stock, 96 approvals. And only 155 across North Sydney and Mossman, which when you think what things were like 10 or 12 years ago for approvals, that's just an incredible decline. Um, so, yes, there's lots of other stats. Sydney's eastern suburbs, inner west, lower north shore, northern beaches, and the equivalents in Melbourne's inner city and some of the uh, blue chip areas. So I guess this is the thing, Chris. Yes, um, we can second guess all day long about where the cash rate is going to peak and when it might come back down. But it's absolutely smoking the building pipeline, particularly it seems in some of those uh, wealthier areas. And these are just approvals. These aren't a let alone what actually gets commenced and actually what finishes, right? And so there's a huge um, undersupply problem. It makes sense, right? Developers are really finding it hard to sell them. They're finding it hard to, they can't sell them off the plan. You can't get finance. You can't, you don't really want to do it right now because you've got this land. You might have had a land bank and hard to get staff. You might have burnt um, your buffers because you've had a couple of jobs that have gone bad in the last few years. And so you haven't got the capital to sort of, you know, go at it. Um, I think that's one of the issues with construction companies is that, you know, they they're not actually they're, they're not there willing to take risk in this moment because they've 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 burnt their buffers. And so um we've absolutely seen a massive drop off in people looking to do renovations. Um one because um you know getting the finance is really hard, the servicing issue, there's an issue with valuations. There's also a desirability. It's not really there. I mean, why would I want to take on this debt when rates are five or six percent a non-deductible debt? just to potentially, if I don't need to absolutely do this right now, let's just put up with our current house. It's not perfect, but let's do it when rates are cheaper. Um, even yesterday, our client absolutely wants to do a reno to their place, but he just can't justify doing it at 5 or 6% interest rates. Um, and, you know, would rather go and buy an investment. Um, and, you know, so there's a real pullback, I think, in the construction industry at all levels, from renovations to knockdown rebuilds to, you know, new house and land. I mean, house and land, I think, is still... There's, you know, but I think there's been real issues with builders out there. I think there's a, there's still good demand, you know, in releasing, you know, land lots. But, um, yeah, there's a real pricing problem. Yeah, it's interesting uh, times for sure and uh, lots of challenges in the construction and development sector. I think um, there's still a lot of uh, those fixed rate mortgages still to reset. I think an important thing about interest rate changes is they can take 12 to 18 months to flow through in their entirety and we've still got all these fixed rate mortgages resetting from two to six percent so there's a big lag effect here and um, it may well be that interest rates are paused to see what happens uh, for a period of time and um, there's potentially a risk that we head towards recession um, if the impact of these uh, rate hikes is too 
significant. So we'll uh, we'll see how this plays out. But it's it's definitely clear that uh, the current setting is contractionary for the economy. It's, it's going to start bringing down uh, spending, inflation. It's just a question of how long it takes and uh, what kind of pain we might have to go through in the meantime, Chris. So uh, let's rock on to the third and related story, uh, record mortgage repayments. So what happens to mortgage repayments when the fixed rates reset in full? Now, uh, the Bank for International Settlements does all these figures for countries around the world like Canada, UK, US. Australia scores pretty high on debt repayments to household income and actually significantly higher than countries like the US where uh, people live there. I mean, there's cities you could choose from all over the US. I'm going to my brother's wedding in Boston, Massachusetts next year, but there's, you know, you could live in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. You could live in, um, you know, the number of cities you could live in Texas or California. Australia is not really like that. Basically, yeah. we just all live in three different places, Sydney, Melbourne, Southeast Queensland, and a few people scattered in Perth and Adelaide. Um, apologies to the uh, residents of Canberra, Hobart, but uh, it, it's much more focused in Australia. Now, the Reserve Bank of Australia has done some projections to show the share of household disposable income that will go to debt servicing costs uh, when all these fixed rate mortgages reset. Now, I can't show you the graph on a podcast, but um, we were down at about 7% of disposable income. The record high was about 9% in 2011. But it looks like uh, by the end of next year, we could be somewhere close to 10. Now, it doesn't sound a lot, 10% of disposable income, but I guess, Chris, this isn't shared equally across the economy and some households are really going to feel the pinch on that. So that obviously, uh, that doesn't sound a lot, Chris, but it's not shared equally across the economy and some households are obviously really going to feel the pinch especially those with high leverage yeah i think the problem with like aggregate data like that is that you know 10 percent would be fine if everyone was on 10 percent, but some are on 30 some are on 40 some are on 50 um i think the the point around sort of people coming off fixed rates is that generally speaking that'll go to a variable rate you could refix um when you go to a variable rate, you've got to be careful. Like ideally, you want to get that on a very good variable rate, like similar to what your other variable loan is. But there's something called a revert rate. So unless you negotiate that rate with the bank, you can get stuck on a pretty poor variable rate. So be really careful when you come off. The, the reality is, though, um, you know, banks are being very good at, uh, you know, retention, really, making sure that their borrowers coming off fixed rates are given good variable rates. The banks are on the front foot here. You should be getting calls um, from the bank to say, hey, your fixed rate's coming off. What do you want to do? We can give you a new fixed rate. This is the variable rate you're going to go on to. So that's what that happens. People have been making cutbacks, even if they haven't come off their fixed rate yet. People aren't ignorant to say, all of a sudden, they've got this um, fixed rate coming off and we're just going to make change when that happens. People have been taking advantage of um, being on a lower mortgage repayment um, all the way through, you know, when 2% rates were, people were building up buffers in offset accounts. And so, yes, there's people who live month to month and got nothing in buffers. And But then most, all the people with bigger mortgages were saying, hey, I know these rates are going to, particularly when they started going up last year, we need to start building up a buffer. And clients who have even fixed next year are coming to us and saying, what exactly is my repayment going to be? Um, I need to start preparing for that now um, and getting further ahead. Um, because rates are going up. So, I mean, that's the reality is, though, it's that, 
yeah, it's the disposable income to mortgages is much higher. And that's ideally what they're trying to achieve right now is that people are having to put, take a lot of money out of the economy um, that they could be spending in other things that they're just paying towards their mortgage. But uh, on long-term levels, it's not like it's a ridiculous number, right, Pete? Um, and uh, it's just going to really hit the people who took on a lot of debt in recent years. Um, but as a whole aggregate, it's not that much. It's just those 2021, 2022 buyers who particularly leveraged up um, they're the ones who are going to hurt. I think the fixed rate cliff as well is a lot of people who fixed had small mortgages. So, you know, they had like, because all the banks were offering ridiculous rates. Um, you know, if you had a two, three, four hundred thousand dollar mortgage, you might have fixed your loan. Um, but that mortgage might only be one times your, you know, a couple of times your income, right? It might be a small mortgage compared to your income. Doesn't mean that everyone who's fixed has huge mortgages. It's just not the reality. It's only a small portion of those. Um, do who and they're the ones who bought in recent years. One of the things that the uh, Bank for International Settlements misses, and I know this because I've actually spoken at an event where they had economists there, and they they do a lot of stuff at the sort of headline or macro level, but they don't really understand necessarily uh, what goes on at the local level. And one of the things that in the Reserve Bank's numbers that was really noticeable is that interest repayments actually aren't that high, um, and uh, the, the reason for that, I think, um, is that, well, the, we've got very large buffers, mortgage buffers in Australia. This is kind of a uniquely Australian setup. Uh, mm. It doesn't happen all around the world. You know, we've got lots of uh, people with very large mortgage buffers. I've got, uh, personally, I've got clients who've got a couple of million of mortgage that fully offset. You know, they've got balances just sitting there. Yeah. So I think um, th that's one of the reasons that... Um, the headline numbers can look alarming, but the interest mm. uh, repayments aren't actually that high because of buffers. I think there's been another big change since around 2017. If you went back before the macroprudential measures came in, about 40% of Australia's mortgages by value were on interest-only terms, which was extraordinarily high. And it wasn't just investors at that stage. There was owner-occupiers doing it as well. I think um, regulators decided that that was a potential systemic risk. It absolutely smashed uh, the value of interest-only mortgages now, uh, largely by um, having a higher mortgage rate for interest-only mortgages. That was one of the mechanisms. They also put a cap on uh, what banks could do. Uh, so now it's only really, um, well, we're getting close to about 10%. It's a, an enormous shift in the landscape. Uh, I wonder whether at some point whether interest-only mortgages might start to make a comeback, if not already, Chris. It seems that... Uh, at least the, some of the limits there aren't in place now and potentially uh, more sort of lenders going forward uh, might be a bit more amenable to interest-only loans. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see if APRA basically say to the banks, look, you don't need to hold additional capital for interest-only on homes. I think they've made it really um, unenticing for the banks to offer interest-only on homes. It's really hard to get it, the rate, and it's all non-deductible debt. That higher interest doesn't really make sense. Um possible but it's not what it's um it's not easy to get interest only on homes interest only investments ridiculously easy you can't when i started in broking you could get 15 years interest only um on homes and investment properties um and so uh and some people have still got those loan contracts right where um you know they've only a uh, home loan it's interest only um and they don't have to go to principal interest for another six or seven years etc so um but yeah usually you can get it for five years you know some banks like anz will do it for 10 years um 
on investments, et cetera. So, yeah, I do think for investors it makes a lot more sense. A, it's tax deductible, and B, um, you don't want to be paying them off when you've got home debt, et cetera. So, um, but you're right. Like it was, it made sense if you knew how to manage your money back in sort of, you know, 2015, you would go interest only on your home because there was no cost to to um, benefit to go principal and interest. It was the same rate. Um, and you put your money in the offset account because then you're building buffers. And so, um, and that made a lot more sense. But, you know, you can't do that nowadays because of, um, yeah, it's hard to get interest only on homes and it costs you more money even if you can get it. There is a potential risk of a retail recession. So there's all these fixed rate mortgages reset, people on higher mortgage repayments, um, people with existing loans are seeing their interest rates go up. Uh, retail figures were actually out this week, a 0.7% increase, which was stronger than expected for the month. But it does come off the back of a number of weak months. And actually, retail turnover is actually lower on a seasonally adjusted basis than it was back in October. And of course, we've seen retail prices increase over that time. And we've got record population growth. An interesting little uh, tidbit of information um, only a month ago, as we sit here today, Australia's population clock ticked past 26.5 million for the first time. Uh, but recent uh, population growth figures have been, well, quicker than expected. And the population clock has now been revised up all the way to 26.6 million. So, I mean, these figures are estimates of the resident population. But there's in the space of a month, there's 100,000 more people in the country than we thought only a month ago. Um, I mean, if you take those figures at face value, an extra person every 47 seconds, well, uh, somebody with a better calculator in their head than me can work that out. But what's that population growth of 650, 670,000 per annum at that kind of speed? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's hard for retail figures to go backwards when you're getting that level of population growth. And no wonder we're getting dwelling shortages. Um, now, this will, I guess, become... A political issue at some point, Chris, um, because people are starting to get pissed off, frankly, uh, reading about all these record population growth figures. Um, and it's creating pressure on infrastructure and housing. And actually, you know, uh, to some level, this might be uh, sort of uh, contributing to the inflationary figures. The retail figures seem to suggest people are still eating out cafes, restaurants, takeaways. I guess that might be the oldies, though, that don't have the mortgages. Yeah, I mean, I remember when it was in COVID and there was no migration and everyone was talking about property prices are going to fall and I was sort of in my head going, yeah, they're going to fall for a bit and then they're going to bounce back really strongly and they're going to play catch up and they're probably going to let more people into the country than they did prior. And, you know, that's exactly what's happened, right? It's been a massive bank uh, bounce back, better than people expected. Um, you know, everything from their unis and tourism, et cetera. So, um, and I do think that that's going to create issues, everything from infrastructure to, you know, the housing market in particular. I think that's the, the rental crisis. I think it's really biting people. Um, and, you know, and, and even people who have got properties at the moment, they don't want to sell because they don't want to go back into the rental market. Um, and, you know, so that's stopping them even upgrading because they're like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? I've got to buy before I sell. I don't want to do that. I can't find something, but I can't sell because I can't want to go in the rental market. It's like it's creating all sorts of issues. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a, a story that we start talking about more and more. In the uh, population growth story, I uh, just saw some figures from Canada out earlier today. The, the population growth there is crazy high. You're looking at sort of a million plus mm. kind of growth. Um, and I, I think just more broadly, um, so there's a number of countries around the world. If you look at places like uh, South Korea, my brother's lived there for a decade. There's not really any immigration except for the odd expat like him. 
uh, and population growth is expected to stall. And then the population is basically projected to halve over the course of this century because the, the fertility rates are simply too low and there's no immigration. There's other countries like Japan facing mm. the same issue, China, there's all kinds of countries. And I think a number of developed countries have recognized this. You know, if you look at Australia, Canada, uh, UK population growth is currently running at, well, Im net immigration of over 500,000. Uh, New Zealand's on the bandwagon too. So I think, um, you know, look, this is a, probably a whole debate for another day. There's potentially some uh, benefits to a smaller population. I noticed in some regional areas of Japan, it was in the news today, you can pick up a house for free more or less, but it comes with its own challenges as well. I think um, you know, if you're growing productivity, in a smaller population, then yeah, sure, GDP per capita might keep increasing, but there's all kinds of other issues if you don't have population growth, lack of entrepreneurship and innovation. It creates a massive issue with dependency ratios, puts a lot of pressure on taxpayers. So it looks to me like, um, yes, politicians are going to be under some pressure uh, to manage population growth, but it's it's clearly the policy because look at the projections out for five years, 2.2 million, enormous. And uh, I, I suppose the other thing as well, Chris, is that global capital is much more fluid than it used to be. And with a couple of years where there was no migration of high net worth individuals, as we talked about last week, now we're seeing the highest migration of net worth individuals on record, and that's expected for the next couple of years as well. Yeah, and ultimately, we're not really focused too much. I do think that there's ultimately a longer-term play of a big Australia ride and more and more people um, coming to Australia. I think, um, don't quote me on this, but I think in Japan, they sold more nappies for older people than they did for younger people. Um, something my mum told me, so take it with a bit that's of a... That's an unbelievable state. If that's true, that is, the, that is <laughs> quite incredible. Yeah, uh, that's right. So I'm not index. sure my mum said it, so I don't, don't, I'm not sure if she uh, read it on an article. But um, it's, quite it's your a sources. Good, it's, a, it's a good way to, to finish this episode, Pete. And uh, yeah, hopefully send all your questions through. And um, yeah, what's uh, what's what's happening in your weekend this weekend, Pete? Just more cricket. Five days of cricket, and then it's the Leeds Test next week. So, um, what about yourself? Any weekend plans? No, no, just uh, all family stuff here. Nothing too exciting. Just uh, enjoying not being sick. <laughs> yeah, happy days. Yeah, it's always great to recover from an illness. Yeah, you make to appreciate it all the more when you're not feeling crook. So thanks everyone so much for tuning in. You can catch me on my daily blog, Pete Wardian Blogspot, or at Pete Wardians on Twitter, where you can abuse me on the socials. Um, don't forget you can always subscribe for the Rask podcast on your favorite podcast player, or you can catch us on YouTube where I'm fiddling with my hair the whole time because it's not tying back properly. Uh Chris, where can people uh, catch you if they want to hear more from you at Blusk. There's a link in the show notes and um, yeah, absolutely just fill in the form and the team will be in touch and we'll see if we can give you that clarity at the moment. It's um, obviously very stressful times for everyone buying, selling, renovating. There's lots to uh, be aware of. Yep. Thank you, Chris. And we always encourage you to send us your property questions via the link in the show notes or even if you just want to say good day. And that is it for this week's Two Cents. Thanks, Chris. Uh, we'll see you next episode. See you next everyone. Happy Sunday, everyone. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax, or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that RASC could help you in 2024. As many of you know, RASC has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies. Which, considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, and every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high-growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios, as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 RASC community members have begun the RASC plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. 
And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if. You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargen. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All RASC users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the RASC community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that 
by going to the RASC Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we're on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. RASC Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor, an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the RASC Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000. And hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad. If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support RASC and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the RASC network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.